Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncho Springs in Chaffey County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. We've been talking rail-themed uh, material here now for for years, <laughs> and uh, well, we invited lots of interesting guests to come and sit here in the caboose at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial. You can also get us on iTunes, and you can also get us on past editions, right, right here. And anyway, we have a, a pretty exciting person to welcome to our caboose today. And the, this train is being pulled by Rick White. Rick White is the engineer. He's up in the front of the train. Thank and, you, uh, Forrest. And I just would like to clarify with our listeners that uh, khen.org is the best place to uh, find out more about KHEN. We have all of the editions of this show in our podcast area of the website. Check them out. There's some really good ones. And one I've listened to recently, Forrest, is we invited Leslie Matthews. And that is a really good show. You know, she's been so instrumental in this, the production of this show for years and it getting going. But anyway, thank you for the introduction. Always a pleasure to be here. And who do you got back there with you? We're leading up to our exciting guest, Lawton Eddy. Lawton Eddy? Lawton Eddy. Eddy? The Lawton Eddy. And when I walked into the little bookstore, who did I see there on... Uh, amongst published poets, but Lawton Eddy. And um, she's also been a part of the Sparrows, which was a sort of, sort of a collective of poets here in Salida for, for a number of years, and um, was good friends with Laurie James. And we, we want to say a few few words about Laurie, too, since she just passed away, since this, this show has had a chance to, to note that. A great poet that she was. Well, let's get into it. So, Lawton, so also, I should say, welcome back from Portugal. Do you, you want to say anything about Portugal since you're just back from there? Oh, my gosh. You want me to jump right into that? I, I have to start, really, by thanking you for us because I'm just so grateful as, as people leave us in our community to just be aware of the quality and character of the people that we have in our community. And you are certainly one of those for us. And, and you support poetry. I love your 
commitment and and uh, love for poetry. And I also love your commitment to this show. So I'm honored to be part of it. I'm, I think it's my second time visiting with you here. The first one was after you turned me on to train travel and the fact that I could get up to Northern California to visit some family annually on a train rather than going through DIA and all of that challenge at the holidays so forever grateful to you for that <laughs> and that was our first conversation ah. <laughs> I guess yeah so with that said I was in Portugal for four weeks mid-October through early November I like going to European countries and that have and all of them do um, real ancient centers and kind of the heart of the original small village, whether or not it's been or really trampled by tourism at this point, you know, there's a variety of a kind of a range of how much places have been subject to that. Portugal is certainly not immune, but there is train travel and the, the train station is in the centers of the cities and the small towns as well. It easily drop into your daily schedule as to you know where you want to visit and how you want to get there it's interesting though i think as american travelers we're used to maybe really having the answer person at the train station and the person that might even help you throw your bag on or help you get it off or the person maybe is going to point you to your car <laughs> and in Europe, especially when you're not fluent with the language, which I am not with Portuguese, it's a unique and beautiful language, but um, Spanish is, is a language I can feel comfortable traveling with, but Portuguese, I felt a little kind of outside alien because I really, you know, I didn't study for it and I didn't, didn't have some pretty key words mm -hmm. down and it's not fair to expect everyone to accommodate us as English speakers, although many do, and many do have some English. Um, but at those train stations, you got to be ready to hop on, have a sense, or have asked people waiting there some questions about, okay, where does this sort of comfort class or public class or these different <laughs> cars and this long line of the waiting area, where should I be standing? Because they don't stop for super long. And then get your own bag on there. Stop traveling with a huge load of luggage. You know, just have a carry-on that's going to suit your age and your muscles. <laughs> and don't burden yourself with all this extra stuff. And I learned that every time. I did, I did pretty well this time because I had to carry clothing for summer temperatures in Lisbon in mid-October. And then sort of rainy, chilly temperatures and weather in Porto and northern Portugal early November. So, you know, it's not like going to Mexico where you can just throw in the light summer clothes and be done. So it's very conscious, conscious packing. I have a question, Forrest. Do you mind? We don't mind. We accept questions at any point. Uh, as a person, Lawton, who has traveled between here and the Pacific Northwest on uh, our uh, domestic trains, what, what kind of difference do you see from what we're doing here with Amtrak and passengers and what they're doing there? Do you know, are these the lines that you were on? Are they government funded? Are they, what's the difference uh, and what are the same? I wish I knew more <laughs> to, to be able to answer your question and I haven't been on the Amtrak to the Northwest for a while. Oh. And I think probably a lot of my perception is shaded by 
my ability to engage with the language. So maybe it's even skewed because maybe we just have more sense of how things operate because we communicate in English here. And there, if there's a little layer, I mean, I, I went in just to ask the ticket guy, where is the bathroom please? And I, I used my translator in Portugal. I used it. I tried to do Portuguese when I could cultural differences. They kind of point in a direction. And then you have to ask seven more people along that direction. But that's really not what you asked me. I think there are a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities. And uh, I don't know about funding sources. I found the stations to be very clean and efficient and, you know, safe places to get on a train. I found the schedules to be pretty on target. I remember being in Italy traveling and there were a lot of train strikes. And I stepped on a train that was that the platform I was supposed to catch my train at a certain time. And it was by then maybe 15 minutes late. But my assumption was, this is the right train. It's just late. So I got on it. Instead of going to Siena, I went to Venice. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> it was the next train. It wasn't, oh, no. That's it wasn't just funny. the train I wanted a oh. few minutes late. And oh. so maybe they announced that about, you know, overhead and I couldn't understand it. Maybe they sure. didn't. Anyway, funding, etc. I wish I knew more about that. It's a socialist country, you know, Portugal, and they probably pay a good share of taxes for, I mean, they have very modern bridges and roads. Here, here you go because you go to these places because you want a sense of the antiquity, right? And the, sure. what's old and what's different from what we're used to. But of course, outlying all of that are very modern roads and bridges and infrastructure really good signage and really a lot of ease of sort of just getting around in general. And the train stations kind of fit into that sense of uh, civic pride, you know, in just how things run, how their transportation services look and feel and how accessible they are. So I felt like, boy, I'm trying to think. I've been in train stations in this country that don't have a ready person to to kind of answer questions or be of help, you have to be very self-reliant or very willing to Boy. chat with your neighbor. Especially waiting. with the language barrier with Portuguese. Because yeah, especially there. Now, when you say translator, though, you mean you have on your cell phone. Oh, yeah. That's very easy to do. And it kind of, so I have a pet peeve when I'm traveling, is folks who rather than pull out your cell phone, which is out in your hand, 50% of the day anyway, and have a translator app that you're comfortable with using. And you can just speak into it, the English phrase, then you can have the listener listen to the translation. It's instantaneous. So rather that than if someone looks at you with blank eye, um, because they don't understand you, repeating the same word five times, maybe louder, with more gestures. That's not helpful. Yeah, <laughs> so I know. It does pull out no. your translator and be respectful and don't expect to be accommodated. Right. You know, that's an arrogant. And, but now did, does your translator, I suppose it, it could hit known nouns, certain verbs. Uh, does it have phrases? 
What, uh, what any sentence or paragraph you speak into it will be translated instantaneously into the language you've chosen. So interestingly, in Portugal, they speak Portugal Portuguese. It's not the same as Brazilian Portuguese. The pronunciations are different. Some of the ways they say things are different. But the translators only have Brazilian Portuguese. So, you know, just be aware of that. And it's not a really always spot on translation. Short phrases at a time are the best way to go. And you could also ask someone who's giving you instructions to speak. You just flip it rather than English to Portuguese. You push the middle arrow and it'll go, okay, Portuguese to English. And you have the Portuguese speaker say the phrase right in there while you hold it up. And then it'll give you the English translation that, that you need. So you just become fluent with it before you go. I can see that some funny things happening, but, but so they, they're listening to the English translation. That's kind of fun too. Of what they've and, said. Yeah. 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 And so even if they say something like, this is stupid, why would you want to go there? Yeah. Why that would come through in English. Absolutely. Well, or something like it. Something. Yeah, something that would convey the message for sure. Go ahead, Rick. Were any of these uh, trains high-speed trains? No, I took more local trains. I've done from country to country before on high-speed trains. I think. In the past, but these were more local. And when you, you know, Portugal is a small country, so you can base, say, in Lisbon, like we did for seven days. My friend Julie Mordecai and I went, spent three of the four weeks together there. We spent seven days in Lisbon, but we hopped on a train to go to the local town of Cascais. And then we walked to another little town and caught the train back. And it was, you know, 25 minutes on the train that day. And we, we took it another time for a longer stretch. Yeah, they don't. I don't remember hearing the announcer saying what town you're approaching. You know, <laughs> somebody in the seat next to me that said, "This the next stop is where you're going, so get ready." Oh, and only get the ready. doors oh, yeah. open very long, so we went and stood in the doorway with our uh, bags in hand. Yeah, Julie had the hefty, hefty bag and needed help with it, <laughs> so we had to plan ahead. So we're ready just to unload. Um, what was the question? Oh my gosh! Well, we're we're back to oh the just, high speed, yeah. Well, no, well we're back local. to the ba- the basics of getting in and off because that has been traditional with European trains. They don't necessarily announce anything except the Germans. The Germans are they? Yes, they say now, and usually, in back in my day, they'd say in two or three languages. They would say the next oh. stop is. It's a recorded. The next and the stop, German yeah. trains. I found, I'm sorry, I talked over No, go ahead, go Uh, ahead. The German trains I found you could set your clock by. And Uh, at that time I was also traveling in Italy and you do not set your clock, your watch by Italian trains, but German trains, yes. Uh, Portuguese, you know, some of them were a few minutes, waited about 15 minutes for a, a train beyond its scheduled time. We didn't do a lot of training. We um, actually found that we find drivers, guides who would take us to our next destination and actually tour us through some of the towns through which we were passing and get that added bonus of that, you know, an English speaking guide driver. Nice. Who, and so we splurged on that a, a number of times and that was a treat. Mm-hmm. And it probably isn't much of a splurge 
because when you stop and figure it, that guide can probably find yeah. you uh, the, the restaurant you want or help you get around and share the history of the place. Absolutely. And you know what made me um, humbled me many times when we had guides, you and I had 200 years of American history to learn. These people have thousands of years <laughs> to learn. And those yes. guys just rattle off, you know, when this one became king, his heir to the throne was so-and-so. And that one was using this Manuelian architecture. And now you see that this, um, his heir in the 16th century shifted to, you know, this so, other to another, another group. Yeah. <laughs> huh. But that, you know, this, um, they have this timeline in their minds of an extensive history because Portugal, I mean, going back to I, yeah, uh, when those caves were full of uh, transients moving through <laughs> migrants, what, what they were yeah. migrants, hunter gatherers, but they yeah. also, it was interesting <clears throat> in Portugal, you know, they were neutral in world war II, So there wasn't evidence as you see, when you travel sometimes in Europe of parts of, uh, cities that were lost or bombed or completely renovated and new due to the destruction of World War II. So Portugal did II. not suffer that. It suffered the um, preference sometimes of monarchy, of, the, of kings who said, I don't like the architecture of my predecessor, so let's tear down these buildings and replace it with oh, 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 oh. So, But there were beautiful castles and palaces. Neither Julie or I were as interested this go-round as with seeing every palace and every castle. We really wanted to be in the sort of the living museum of the communities. We did a lot of walking. Every single sidewalk and street in the older parts of the village of the, of the cities, which are extensive and large, every inch is covered with a four by four inch tile. There's no really? pavement. It's not cobblestone that's random stones. It's tile that somebody cut some multitude, cut, laid in, you know, cut, fired and cut and laid in. In addition to that, the wall, the facades of the buildings are all covered with tile and it, they're beautiful. And the tiles, I suppose there were familial preferences or indicators, the types of colors and patterns they used on the tiles. Some were very three-dimensional with sort of a raised rosette in the center of the tile. And, but the colors were vivid. And these are 400 years old, you know, these buildings. So one thing I found in the cities, Porto, Lisbon, um, being the largest of the cities and towns we visited, because of the age of these buildings and because of the relatively recent, say 15 years, interest in out of non-Portuguese people wanting to find a second home, vacation home, or move to a different place. Portugal's definitely on those radars. So there's a lot of renovations going on. So there's a lot of noise in these cities. There's a lot of cranes and construction and jackhammers and traffic. So living inside of this mom, I am very sensitive to that city noise. It definitely got to me. I always welcomed our departure to a smaller, quiet yeah. village after a short time. So mm -hmm. it's the big reconstruction. 
they're building what? Uh, high-rise apartments, I suppose. They're not. They are renovating existing buildings. And the code in Portugal is such that you can gut the interior, do whatever you want in there, keep the facade the same, which is lovely, right? So yeah. it preserves oh, yeah. that integrity of the country sure. and their style. So there are people whose trade it is to study, apprentice, learn, and then work on these renovations of facades. Because if a tile is damaged or a section of tile, you have to replace it exactly. And they're not just on a shelf somewhere to go buy, you know, so people have to create them and um, recreate them rather. And how are these tiles cared for? They must be washed down. There's probably a whole profession that does that as well. You know, it does I tile washing. Yeah. Yeah. There, I saw one church steeple under scaffold and plastic. No, we saw two in the town of Coimbra, the university town, a, a palace that's in the center of the university center, and then a beautiful church in the in the center square. And they're not squares. Everything's round there. I like Portugal. Yeah. It seemed more round. Uh, <laughs> in the center of a town or irregular you might say yeah or irregular no. in this town called tomar which is very fascinating with the knights templar um lore and history there that huge building and steeple was also under scaffold and plastic and i believe they were washing cleaning the facade and the tiles underneath so that's what we were told but didn't see that in action so you would recommend Taking the train in Portugal. Yes, to get when to possible. Some of these places. Yeah, yeah, and when possible. And it's never going to be a long ride. Like I said, it's a sh- small country. And sure. you can get from Porto to Lisbon, provide, you know, some people travel kind of up that coast looking at different towns. And then they want to take a quick train back down. And this, wow. that's maybe three hours. I don't know. I'm not, maybe not remembering just yeah. right. But to get back down to the south, to Lisbon, which isn't even south-south of Portugal. There's more, more beyond that. What yeah. an experience. You're hooked on Portugal right now. Or you know, on- I'm satisfied with my time there. I would go back to some small villages I went, I didn't see. But I want to recommend an app called Rome to Rio, R-O-M-E. Number two, Rio, to find train schedules, all kinds of manners of travel from point A to point B. Super helpful. And when you say this, what countries, or is it just Portugal? I think it's everywhere but Asia. And you can get how, it, how to do it on a bus, a train, in a car, how long it'll take, how much it'll cost. It's awesome. What an adventure. Well, there are people who have talked about buying Rome to Rio. Pretty exciting. Well, and Eddie, by the way, our guest this morning on, on the rails, just back from taking quite a few trains in, in Portugal. And we had a fascinating discussion. Why do we travel anyway? What is it we're looking for that we can't find? Well, in this case, that we can't find right here in Salida. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this travel? And uh, that, of course, led us to talking about Laurie James, uh, who's just passed away. And was a big traveler and a, and a big, big friend of all these poets. And having poets on it, we need more poets on this show. But having a well-known poet like Lawton Eddy here is a real, real <laughs> treat for us. And um, we've, all right, well, we've almost used up 
the first half of this interview. Oh my goodness. So next we'll, we'll move on. But first we want to thank the person who, uh, who runs this outfit here, who is Rick White. We didn't get to the poetry yet, but we will. We didn't get to the poetry. We may have to have another, another whole session with Lawton, just talking train poetry, why we write poems on trains, why we read poems on trains, how important that is. We've got to shut down this first half. Uh, so uh, do we give a high ball? It's, how do we give a high ball in, Italian, uh, Portuguese? Let's see. How do you say in Portuguese, let's go or out of here? Or she's Sorry, That up. would be my hands up in the air. <laughs> get, your, get your translator out. All right. That whole translator thing. All right. All right. Well, high ball. All right. We're out of here for the first half of this interview with Lawton Eddy. So here we go. Three, two, one. Highball. 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 Highball.